Good job. We're looking at uh, Daniel chapter 4. This is a very uh, strange chapter. And uh, some people, a lot of people wonder whether Nebuchadnezzar was converted or not. Are we going to see him when we get to heaven? And uh, I hope so, and I think so. And my reasoning is, I think his testimony, this, is, this chapter switches between first person and third person, but it begins and ends with the first person of Nebuchadnezzar writing his personal testimony. And I don't think many people would write their own personal testimony that, yeah, I ate grass like an ox, and I, I grew nails like, like an eagle, and, uh, you know, I had the dew of the earth, you know, and I was, basically, I went insane until, you know, the Lord was done with me. Most people wouldn't want to confess those things, I don't think, unless the Lord was truly at work. And so, as I've shared with you in Daniel, there's each chapter, these first six chapters, is a contest. It's, you know, Whose God is bigger? Whose God is greater? Whose God is stronger? Is it the Babylonians and the Babylonian God? I mean, the, the book begins with Nebuchadnezzar comes and takes the idols or takes the, um, the, the items that were in the temple and he takes them down to, to Babylon and puts them in his temple. And it's the idea of taking them out of Jerusalem and plundering the temple in Jerusalem that my gods are greater than your gods. See, I've taken your idols, or not your idols, your items, and I've taken them, and I've taken them down to Babylon. And the rest of the book is showing you, no, you're not in charge, you're not God at all. And so, uh, so this is kind of a sobering message. I know this is Thanksgiving weekend, and this is a little bit of a heavy message to be reminded that God is completely sovereign and life is a total gift and God can take us out at any moment in time and there isn't a one-to-one correlation that if he takes you out that it's because you sinned sometimes it is sometimes it isn't Uh, one of my great stories that I love about a pastor um, Jack Arnold was he was preaching from the pulpit and he said I'm immortal till the Lord is done with me and he was preaching away with this and he fell over and died right then and there in front of the congregation and he's with Jesus I mean he ended well didn't he but we don't I here's the thing I think all of us feel like the hourglass of our life is at least half full we always implicitly think that the hourglass at least has plenty of sand in it and the reality is, for, and for Nebuchadnezzar, God had to just humble him and show him God is completely sovereign and life is a complete gift. And so this message will bring across some of those reminders this morning. So here's a trivial question. What professional sports team has retired the number of a player who never played a single game for them? The answer is the Boston Celtics, and the number is 30. And the day after Len Bias was drafted by the Celtics in June of 1986, he dropped dead of a cocaine-induced heart attack. He played for the University of Maryland. He set a school record at the time, scoring 2,149 points, which has since been uh, beaten by Juan Dixon. But Len Bias, some of his last words were, I'm a horse, I can handle it, as he's snorting a mound of cocaine the night after he was drafted by the Boston Celtics. He died before his 22nd birthday, June 1986. I cried. I was in high school. I loved Lynn Bias. 
such a sad thing. Jim Croce died in a plane crash, 1973, age 30. When his song, Time in a Bottle, became a big radio hit, he was already dead. The chorus of the song went, but there never seems to be enough time to do the things you want to do once you find them. I've looked around enough to know that you're the one I wanna go through time with. You see, the assumption is, is that his hourglass was at least half full. And yet when the song was hitting the radio, everybody had this eerie feeling of he's already dead from a plane crash. Sometimes God gives people a second chance, sometimes he doesn't. Nebuchadnezzar is taken down in this chapter and its story and its implications are very serious for each of us. So let's consider Nebuchadnezzar's personal testimony. As I said, the, the text is gonna switch uh, if you look at the very beginning, and, and you have to have your Bible because the PowerPoint doesn't pick it up to verse 18, but it, it begins with, um, it says, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth. He's writing to everybody, hear this, peace be multiplied to you. It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High has done for me. That's first person. It stays in first person, okay, all the way up to, to verse 18, so we pick up the story, and he has this dream, and he says, this dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you, okay? And so um, then it's going to switch. Now we're going to switch now to third person, okay, picking up in verse 19, so here we have the interpretation of the dream. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while and his thoughts alarmed. And the king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the ends of the whole earth whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, for you have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reached to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a, with a band of iron and bronze and the tender grass of the field and let him be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beast of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the most high which has come upon my lord the king that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the most high rules the kingdoms of, kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for, for you from the time that you know that heaven rules." Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. Let me pray again for us. Father, we ask again that you would open our hearts and our eyes 
to see who you are in our own need. We ask that you would be at work in us. Lord, may we truly uh, test and know whether we're, we're children of God. May we make our calling and election sure. May we take seriously um, the words of God and not to be um, like the bad examples that we see even in, in this at the beginning. We pray that we would not have to, to, be, to learn the hard way, to be humbled so greatly. We pray that we'd learn from others' mistakes. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Note the repetition that begins in, in verse uh, 17. Three times we are told, and when you, when you see repetition in a chapter, it's really meant to get your attention as to what, what's the purpose here. And so in verse 17 and verse 25 and in verse 32, it's told three times why God gave this dream to Nebuchadnezzar. This is his second dream, and this time he's got a tree that goes all the way up to heaven, and it's branches are massive and, and all the beasts of the field are under it and the birds can all rest in, 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 in this uh, nest in, the, in this tree. And he says, he gave him the dream and, and, and he's gonna take it away and leave him as this stump. And he says, it's to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it over the lowliest of men. And again in verse 25, at the end of 25, till you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And again in verse 32, until you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And so there's one thing we can learn this morning for sure. The most high rules the kingdom of men and he gives it to whom he will. He can even do it for Donald Trump for, if, if, in God's sovereignty. So the initial influence of this dream is that all, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar, we're told in verse 28. At the end of 12 months, he's walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king answered and said, I'd love to know what the question was of which he answered, but it says he answered and said, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. Probably one of the most arrogant statements in the entire Bible. Look again at the pride of verse 30. I have built, that's who did it, by my mighty power, that's how he did it, and for the glory of my majesty, that's why I did it. So far from Romans eleven thirty six, that from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be the glory, amen. We've got a, quite a discrepancy. So the initial influence of Nebuchadnezzar's second dream was much like the first dream. It was water off the duck's back. It was in one ear, out the other. God is not taken seriously. He's disregarded. Nebuchadnezzar is still on the throne of his kingdom, the throne of his life, and he thinks he's still on the throne of the universe, but not so. The dream will have its fulfillment. Many of us grew up hearing this song, if you're a little older like me, and even if you're young, you've probably heard this song, Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon, Little Boy Blue and the Man on the Moon, When You Coming Home, Son, Don't Know When, but we'll, we'll get together then, we'll have a good time then. It's this terribly depressing song about a dad who's too busy 
to spend time with his son, and then in turn, when the father gets older, now he wants to spend time with his son, the son doesn't have any time for his father because he's learned the same rat race game from his dad. And it's this song that it really kind of preaches at you. I actually heard it once in church as an offertory. I thought that was kind of strange, but uh, <laughs> I can remember when I was a youngin. Um, well, the story, the very story of um, Harry Chapin was he vowed to his wife he was going to slow down after the summer so he could spend time with his family. See, he thought his hourglass was at least half full. It never happened. He had a heart attack while driving, which led to a traffic accident in 1981 that killed him. His daughter said about him, my dad didn't really sleep. He ate badly and had a totally insane schedule. Cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you coming home, son? I don't know when, but we'll get together then, son, and we'll have a good time then. You see, he assumed, just as Nebuchadnezzar assumed, this is not going to happen. The immediate fulfillment of the promise is in verse 31 to 33. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. You see, in this contest where you see, is not this great Babylon, that should ring your, ring your bell to Tower of Babel and Babel being the symbol of man and all of its pride and its glory. And those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's a promise many, many times in the Bible. Well, while he's still speaking about his pride and great Babylon, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men. Your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. There's a tenfold humbling in these verses. Count them. Kingdom has departed from you, number one. You shall be driven from among men, number two. Number three, your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. Number four, you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. Number five, seven periods of time shall pass over you. Six, until the time you know the Most High rules the kingdoms of men. Seven, he gives it to whom he will. And then immediately the word was fulfilled. He was driven from among men, ate grass like the ox, as, as already mentioned. Number eight, his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Number nine, till his hair grew long as eagle's feathers. And number 10, his nails were like bird's claws. That's a tenfold humbling. God will accomplish his very purposes. And so now we're going to see the long-term influence that this has on Nebuchadnezzar now that he's been humbled. At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. That's a gift. My reason returned to me. I blessed the Most High, praised and honored him, and now I want you to hear the tenfold praise. You ready? Who lives forever, praise number one. Number two, his dominion is an everlasting dominion. That's praise number two. Praise number three, his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Number four, all the inhabitants of the earth are as accounted as nothing. Five, he does according to his will among the host of heaven. Six, and among the inhabitants of the earth. Seven, none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? 
At that time, same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me. I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for, number eight, all his works are right, and number nine, all his ways are just, and number 10, those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So we have a tenfold humbling, but it led to a tenfold praise. What are the implications of a chapter like this for us? Well, James 4 tells us something. It says, come now. You who say to today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such town, spend a year there, trade, make a profit. Yeah, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? I told you the Bible is full of questions. There is a question to just go home and just ponder. What is your life? There it is. What is your life? Answer, you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That's it. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. You see, James has a question here that's just not relevant for the people of his day. It's always relevant. It's always the relevant question. What is your life? You know, I was thinking I was really busy and really stressed last week, and, and, I, and I got the email from Kevin Jamison that just said, pray for my sister-in-law. You know, she, she had a heart attack, and then you find out she's in her young 40s, great health, no health issues in her, and heart attack, she's gone. And all of a sudden, all my problems just instantly, like, they got real small, like, Reality came clicking in real fast, like, wow, you're here, you're gone. As Tim Keller says, there's this trap door of the universe, and one day it opens up and we all fall through. It's, it's coming for all of us. So we need to be thankful for what we have, and not to be arrogant to think that we will assume that we will do this, we will do that, we will make these plans. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar had all these great plans. I mean, who would have said, ah, tomorrow I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to be rolling around and like, and, you know, eating grass. That was not in his plan, I can, I can assure you. And so the first point of humble pie is you don't know what tomorrow will bring. It's like the parable of the rich fool. Jesus told a parable about being on guard against all kinds of covetousness. This is great for Cyber Monday coming and Black Friday weekend, you know. Man's life does not consist of the abundance of things he possesses. And he told him a parable, land of a rich man produced plentifully. He thought to himself, what will I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, I mean, he's just got a little bit of selfishness going on. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool. This night your soul's required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. 
You see, the fool thought that hourglass had plenty of time left in it. He thought he would live for many years and eat, drink, and be merry, and God said, fool. You see, we would say, well, that's for old people. He was thinking about retirement. Remember James Dean? James Dean was famous for uh, his movie that he was in, uh, Rebel Without a Cause, and it came out in 1955, but before the film was even completed, the day before it was completed in filming, he took his silver Porsche 500 Spider that he wanted to race in Salinas. And so he drove from L.A. to Salinas to race his car. He never made it. He got pulled over by the police two hours, two and a half hours before the accident for driving over 80 miles an hour. Police officer told him to slow down. But he didn't slow down. But the Ford Tudor making a left-hand turn right in front of him, that made him slow down. The car crash killed James Dean at age 24 before the movie ever came out. He thought he had plenty of time in his hour clock. What if you were able to read the Wall Street Journal three years from now and you were able to know precisely what stocks are going to tank and which ones are going to be a massive hit and you were able to invest and three years from now you know what's going to hit and so you're able to fully invest but you also have this other newspaper, the Washington Post and three years from that you're able to read the obituary section and read about yourself and your life. How are those Wall Street Journal investments looking so good now? You see, those profits, they all of a sudden become really silly. How do we feel about all that money we can make in the next three years if we knew we were going to be dead? You see, the Bible tells us in Psalm 90, teach us, O Lord, to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. We all have to consider the brevity of life how presumptuous or arrogant it is to, to think we know the future. Only God knows the future, and he knows it well. Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. And the Apostle Paul says three times in his writings, talking about his plans, and he always says, If the Lord wills. And when James says, If the Lord wills, in James 4, he says, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But just, if the Lord wills, we will live. That should get our attention. The world loves the Invictus poem. There was a movie featuring the poem, William Ernst Henley. And the ending of the poem is, I'm the master of my feet. I'm the captain of my soul. Well, guess what happened to the guy who wrote the poem? He died of TB at age 53. He wasn't master and he wasn't captain of his own soul and of his own fate. You see, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And so I looked up this word for mist in all my Greek lexicons to come up with something fancy to tell you. And here's what Loanida, the best Greek lexicon, defines this little Greek word. And it says the closest equivalent of this little Greek of this is normally a term which refers to the steam rising from a boiling pot or cauldron. There you have it. As you boil a pot of water and you see the steam rising up, that vapor, there's your life. There, then gone. That's pretty humbling, isn't it? 
Forrest Gump's famous quote from the movie was, life's a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And that was kind of a frustrating movie, wasn't it? Well, in one sense, he was right in that, in one sense, he was terribly wrong, but you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. There seems to be an arbitrariness, a randomness, or chance. And Ecclesiastes does draw that out in chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes. He says, again, I saw under the, the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the, to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happens to them all. You see, Will, that's why the Cowboys won right there. No, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but the idea is that sometimes the best runner doesn't win, right? Sometimes the, the battle isn't to the strong or, or bread to the wise. It says time and chance happens to them all. And then it says man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Dale Earnhardt was killed instantly between three and four. Last lap, biggest race, Daytona 500, year 2001. On the last lap of the race, he's running the interference position while his son and Michael Waltrip, another member of the Childress team, they held first and second place. And as long as Dale could hold this, back this interference position, the Richard Childress's team would have a podium sweep, first, second, and third place. However, between lap third, the third and fourth of that final lap, he was tapped in the rear, and he crashed into the wall doing somewhere between 150 to 160 miles an hour, was killed instantly at the age of 49. Many believe that if he was wearing the Hans neck device, it would have saved his life. But Earnhardt, who was also wearing a loose seat belt because he, he liked to have a little bit more comfort while he was riding, resisted the very safety innovations that might have saved his life. Yet his death has now saved many lives because now the Hans device is worn, the walls have been changed, they're, they're softer now, they give slightly to diffuse the blow of a car striking the wall. Those, those changes from his death have definitely saved other lives. But Dale Earnhardt was thinking as he's going, we are going to have first, second, third place. I mean, he's one, he's just a quarter mile from victory. Gone. Chris Farley, comedian, Saturday Night Live in the 90s. He once said in an interview that he dreamed of being just like John Belushi. He said he wanted to follow him. Well, he did. Both John Belushi and Chris Farley both died at age 33 from accidental overdose of the exact same thing, a concoction of heroin and cocaine. Red Sanford played Sanford and Son. His famous line in the show, which he often said, was, I'm going to have the big one, going to have the big one. Well, when he had the big one on the set, they thought he was joking. When he collapsed on the ground and grabbed a chair and fell to the ground, they initially thought he was joking because he had the big one at age 68. Harry Houdini, the great magician and illusionist, used to claim he could take punches in the stomach, no problem. His death is linked to punches in the stomach by a college student, J. Gordon Whitehead, who asked him if he believed the miracles of the Bible and whether it's true that punches in the stomach didn't hurt him. And catching Houdini off guard, because he had broken his ankle and he was resting on a couch without time to prepare himself, this guy pummeled him with three blows to the, 
to the midsection, and whether the blows caused the appendicitis or not is debated, but Houdini died a few days later after waiting too long to get a medical, medical treatment for his 102 degree fever and acute appendicitis that was already happening, yet the show must go on, and Houdini thought he could elude death, and so he went out and performed and by the time they did the surgery to, re to remove the poison from his ruptured appendix, it, it slowly killed him. And he died at age 52 on Halloween in 1926. He couldn't elude death. You see, God has metered out all our days. The Bible tells us all the days written for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So it's not a box of chocolates. It's not random. The Bible says, my times are in your hand. Do you know him this morning? Do you know Jesus Christ as your, as your Lord and Savior? I was touched this week reading about Bobby Richardson. Anybody remember that name? He was a second baseman for the New York Yankees from 1955 to 1966. He retired at the age of 30. He was a strong Christian, and he touched a lot of lives. He was unashamed about his faith. He preached at seven of the Yankees' funerals. He led Roger Maris to Christ, not only as Maris, but his wife and his son. And at Maris' funeral, Mickey Mantle said, I want you to preach mine. And most people know about Mickey Mantle that he had a drinking problem, which he did. But Mickey Mantle loved Bobby Richardson and respected him, even though he never went out and partied with him. And so as he was dying, he called Bobby Richardson, and I said, I want you to come. And he got on a plane and went to him. And lo and behold, he led Mickey Mantle to the Lord. And Mickey Mantle's in heaven. And when he went to review with him the verses, and, you know, his wife came, and then she witnessed to him, and he quoted John 3.16 and said he was at peace. And Bobby Richardson got to preach before uh, Richard Nixon, before, this was during the Watergate scandal. He got to speak with Billy, Billy Graham many times. And I mean, the, the God just greatly used this man who was just a humble guy who was bold for his faith and he was not ashamed to share the gospel. And yet he was very successful on the field and off the field as well. I mean, his three children, two of them became pastors, one became a missionary, all his children walking with the Lord. What a great man. He made the most of his time. He's still living. He's 80 years old. I got to hear him preach at, at, in South Carolina years ago. He was very good. My question to you this morning, though, is that we don't know. We don't know whether we're going to, you know, we, we, we don't know how much time's in that hourglass. Bobby Richardson's message was simple. You either, you either say yes to Jesus Christ or you say no. But if you say maybe, you're saying no. And the message was simple. You need to say yes to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life because the trap door is going to open and we don't know when. And what Nebuchadnezzar is interesting, he's changing his tune literally because his tune, if you look back at the beginning of chapter three, his tune was that he made an image of gold, you remember, and he set it up and it was 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. And there's this refrain that keeps occurring throughout Daniel and it's to all peoples, nations, and languages. Chapter three, verse four. 
when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, basically fall down and worship this golden image. And he says it again in verse seven of chapter three. To all people's nation and languages, fall down and worship this image. But now in chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar has changed his tune. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all people's nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, I want you to hear about the most high God and his wonders and his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. And when you get to chapter seven, this great climactic verse in Daniel, verse 13 and 14, where you have a vision of Christ and behold, he comes in the, with the clouds of heaven. There came one like a son of man. He came to the ancient of days. This is God the Father being enthroned. And he's with God, God the Son's with God the Father. And he's presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nation and languages, sound familiar? Should serve him. Because his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. All the other kingdoms are coming down except this one. Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Of the increase in power of his government, there'll be no end of his government and of his peace. He's building this kingdom. The question is, do you know the king? in the kingdom. The end of the story is after this I looked in Revelation. And behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages. Sound familiar? They're standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Do you have to learn the hard way this morning? Some of you have been greatly humbled. Some of you haven't. Some of us haven't. Does he have to like take every single thing from you and make you, you know, crawl like, like Nebuchadnezzar? Or can you, the wise person can learn from others' mistakes. God knows the end and the beginning and he knows all things. And the great news is that God does sometimes give second chances. He did that for Mickey Mantle. You know the story of Pat Summerall? He worked with John Madden. Most people know Pat Summerall was an alcoholic. He was. And it was a crisis intervention. And his daughter said, I'm embarrassed by your last name. I'm embarrassed that I have your name. And that broke him. And he went into the Betty Ford Clinic and he was only supposed to be there 28 days, but he was there at 33 because they said, you were so mad for the first five. But after the first five days, guess what happened to Pat Summerall? He started reading the Bible. And he's been reading it ever since. He got baptized. He became a Christian before he died. And he gives glory to God. Some have wonderful endings like that. What's the story of your life going to be? You only have one life to live and, and you don't know how much time's in that hourglass. Why would you wait to make much of Jesus Christ? Honor him. Give him the glory. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and it's not gonna pass away. Let's be part of it now and forever. Let's pray. Lord, give us that heart of wisdom 
knowing that this world and its desires are passing away, but the one who does the will of the Lord lives forever. And that we're all exposed before you. None of us is righteous. No, not one. And each of us here needs the blood of Jesus to cover our sins. Wash us, we pray. Forgive us our sins, O God, there are many. And come fill us with your Holy Spirit that we would live as new creatures in Christ and that we would make much of you all the days of our life and forever in eternity with you. Bring people to yourself this morning, Lord Jesus. I ask in your name, amen.